0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka. That is me. And I think this is the first famous big deal celebrity chef that I have had on the show. Welcome, Jose Andreas. Mm.
0: I don't know about the celebrity chef, but thank you for having me.
1: I'm going to call you a celebrity. I was doing the most casual of research, and I found this from from 10 years ago in the Wall Street Journal. Jose Andres is all of these things at once, a man with 13 restaurants, a packed trophy case, including a James Beard Award, a company with 800 employees, annual revenue of 75 million TV shows in the U.S., Spain, and Latin America, political connections throughout Washington, a teaching gig at Harvard, and a long resume of social activism. And my takeaway from that is that's woefully incomplete now because you're doing even more. I've got podcasts and more media coming out. But I really wanted to talk to you at the top of this about World Central Kitchen, because I think that's a a big focus for you, that you were just starting 10 years ago. So tell us what that is and and what you do.
0: Well, World Central Kitchen really happened um, after the experiences I got uh, working in Washington, D.C. in a soup kitchen. I began in 1993, almost 30 years ago, and I saw the power of food to give it an opportunity to to people. Uh, in this case, uh, training homeless and ex uh, com- ex convicts, and and using food as a way to bring them in and teach them a profession, finding them jobs in the community, and in the process feeding the people in need in DC. There's many great organizations like this actually across America and even around the world. But then uh, this is. In a way, more trying to fight hunger at the urban level. But I began watching, and very often we saw it in Katrina, Superdome, how we left uh, thousands of Americans stranded with no food or water and uh-huh. nobody ready to answer in a quick, effective way. And my mind began going ballistic, saying, my God, it's so easy. It's restaurants in every corner of America. Only we need to reopen one of them and just feed those people in the emergency. That's when only about thinking about doing something, but never moving a finger. When Haiti happened, I was in Cayman Islands. This is the earthquake in Haiti, 2010, 2011. 2010. And I thought, it's no more. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to learn. And that's very much how we began. World Central Kitchen just began cooking and feeding, cooking and feeding with no plan, adapting. Uh, obviously from the early days in Haiti, where we, we had in the yearly budget of World Central Kitchen, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Some put by my friends, by my wife, myself. And then we began doing a little bit of fundraising in the restaurants. But that said, slowly, but little by little, we began getting more, more, I will say more experience. But I think it was the year of, uh, Harvey in Texas, followed by obviously Puerto Rico Maria. That is the moment that those experiences and that willingness to use the system in place, meaning restaurants, to try to feed Americans in need is when exploded. And that's when Maria really uh, gave us our big first kind of, uh, let's put it this way, is when World Central Kitchen began being known by many because we were able to, in the middle of the chaos, provide over hundred twenty hundred fifty thousand 150,000 meals per day in an island that was devastated and where somehow we didn't have a response like happening in Katrina. I'm very happy that the cooks and chefs of Puerto Rico, we united, and we were the ones that we had the the biggest, quickest response of anybody.
1: So your model is you direct money, basically, and, and talent and help, but you're, you're directing money towards existing restaurants, kitchens, and, and the people who work there in the affected areas and helping them get food that they make out to people.
0: That's a part of it. I will not say we direct money. Obviously, you have to pay for these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are an organization that 99.9% we are funded use by people. In the case of Puerto Rico, at the end, we we got some help from the government because the magnitude of what we were doing being a very small organization. But uh, I would say it's not really redirecting money. What we do is maximizing the assets at our disposal. And it's not two situations equal. It's not the same, the volcano in Antigua, than the Dorian hurricane in Bahamas, than uh, what happened in the war in Ukraine or what happened to the volcano in Hawaii, or what happened to the volcano in Guatemala, or what happened COVID in India, where we were feeding 97 hospitals. Every situation requires a response. We try to use the assets that they are already in place, meaning if I have restaurants and the restaurants cannot open because it's chaos, but the restaurants have empathy and want to help their community, there we are supporting them, obviously with money, but more important, with resources, with know-how, with maps, with systems, With the simple thing that World Central Kitchen does so well, which is in an emergency, we don't plan. We have boots on the ground, we cook, and we start feeding the communities in need. That's what we do. But every operation, every mission will always have, in a way, a different answer. It's never been in my lifetime still two operations that we copycat exactly what we did in one or in the other. Everyone requires its own unique adaptation.
1: I think people listening to this get a sense of the scale just by sort of the disasters and countries that you're you're, you're taking off here, and they're literally around the world. But, but give us a sense of, of how many meals you have served to date or, or something that gives a sense of, of reach.
0: We can do small things like Providencia was is an island in Colombia that last year was hit by this hurricane, and that was eight thousand people, what was eight thousand people in the middle of an island in the Atlantic Ocean with no access to anything? The amazing thing is we were able to do it. O Tonga, the island that was also by a tsunami, was destroyed that we were We were the first ones to arrive to Tonga with humanitarian aid. But the amazing thing is that we were already feeding. Before anybody from Volc and Kitchen arrived, why? Because we contacted the chefs and we told them, "Can you feed anybody, and we will support you financially?" Plus, tell us what you need, and we we will bring it. The numbers: uh, some operations we do two, three, four million meals in total. Other operations are hundred thousand, half a million. Ukraine, for example, during the pandemic, we did. My God, we did. We had more than three thousand restaurants. We were doing five hundred thousand meals a day. We did millions and millions of meals. I mean, I think we did over 100 something million meals in Ukraine, for you to understand. We've done to date, over 150 million meals. 150 million meals. But the uniqueness is not that we give the meals, is that we create an entire system around them. In the process of feeding the people in need, we make sure that the restaurants are kept open, nobody's getting rich because they want to do it because they have empathy. But the restaurant can pay rent, the restaurant can pay their employees, the restaurant can pay the farmers. In in the process of feeding the people in need, we are able to maintain the economic system. We buy from farmers, we reopen shops or factories that they were closed, like in the case of Ukraine, to produce wheat. If if Ukraine is the biggest producer of cereal, uh, in, in one of the biggest in the world, Why are we bringing anything from the outside Ukraine? Let's support Ukraine by buying local to feed the local people.
1: I wanted to speak with you last spring and I talked to your team and they said, great, but he's in Ukraine right now. I was not surprised to hear that, but why is it important and and, and anyone who's either follows your Twitter or doesn't follow your Twitter, you're just everywhere, is used to seeing videos of you in ukraine or wherever you wherever world uh central kitchen is why is it important for you to be there and for people to see that you're
0: there i mean it for me it's getting harder and harder to to go because i, I have multiple life i have a life like everybody a family and friends and my wife and my children and i have my business people business i love and and, and co-workers i i love to be with them i have my teaching gigs and my TV and and when these things happen, usually I drop everything and I go. I usually go to the very big ones because the big ones is where I believe I, you know, I can bring a little bit of my experience because the teams we have, they are gaining experience by the minute. As I say, one plate at a the time, they are gaining so much experience that is amazing seeing the teams of World Central Kitchen, how they are able used to make the impossible possible. Why is important for me? Obviously, you know, uh, more often than not, I will not have people on Twitter that sometimes is the best of people and sometimes is not the best of people saying, oh, here you are showing off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, I used stopped stop playing a run of golf with Sergio Garcia. And, and I'm here in the middle of this chaos and I'm doing this for showing off. Obviously, I do it because I have people that don't only follow me, but follow what Wall Central Kitchen does. And if you see, I put my social media more at the service of humanitarian work than at the service of filling the seats of my own restaurant. I do it because I have a sincere belief that the way we've been successful is because people genuinely care, but not everybody can go. Not everybody can show up. It's it's impossible. It's chaos. Mm -hmm. But they care and they watch our videos in real time How we are able to bring relief to people and they feel they're part of that relief, that power of solution. And obviously, they send us $1 or 5 or 10 or they retweet about what we do. And this is creating this powerful community, not only in America, but around the world. This is how we were able to be so quick and so fast, uh, quicker and faster than anybody in Ukraine, being in more than 1,000 cities, because the American people were supporting the efforts we were doing in the middle of the chaos of Ukrainians fleeing Uh, the war and moving to other countries. We were able to be there helping with food, helping with logistics, because precisely those videos gives a glimpse to the people of what we are doing and what people need. And people love that when they donate one dollar, that dollar doesn't go into a bank account and nobody knows what is happening. Mm -hmm. But they love to see that that money is already being used before even it reach uh, us. So your your nonprofit solves an immediate
1: problem, right? People need food. You're going to help them eat, but very often you're going into places where there are problems that there are going to be long standing. A uh, natural disaster has wiped things out, or in the case of Ukraine, it's a man made disaster um, that could go on for a very long time. And feeding people obviously is not going to solve long term the the conflict of the war. That Russia has started. Do you ever say, I want to do more than feed people? Or do you say, no, feeding people is the one thing I know how to do, and I can do that immediately, and
0: I can help solve that problem? Food brings a lot of things together. It's not just the plate of food and feeding people. It's much deeper than that. That's why I always say that food is a national security issue. Yes, we are emergency. Emergency is where we thrive. Because emergency means people need food now. They need water now, not next month now and we're good in arriving we were in ukraine in the middle of the chaos ukraine has food You're going to tell me if they have food, Jose, why do you go there to feed them? Because they were in chaos. The supermarkets were closed. The Russian troops troops were in Kiev. uh, uh, When I arrived to Kiev, you could see still the the explosions and the red, orange sky. We were in in the cities that they were totally destroyed, infrastructure totally destroyed. This is an emergency. This is where we are good at becoming we close the gap of what of what should be how mm-hmm. that city should be functioning. Multiply that by thousand cities. That's what we do. Chronic long term hunger, this is I leave that for the World Food programs and their own governments. Now the government of Ukraine, I would say, is very different from six months ago. Now they are at the same time they are defending their country. They are trying to manage the the country too. Uh, and and they are you see that they are very specifically moving in how we're doing the school lunches. How we're doing we may be helping here and there but the governments and the mayors are taking care of that. And slowly we began moving out. But we keep our effort in the places that are really the ones that need our help the most. So what I was trying to tell you that we do more than that and food. I was very happy that we were able to be opening, reopening factories by telling the owners, if you reopen your factory, I will buy from you. If you mm-hmm. reopen your pasta factory, I will buy from you. All of a sudden it's deeper than use cooking and feeding food, helping factories reopen, creating the jobs again, making sure that we create a system of moving food around the country in a much simpler, simpler way than just bringing the food from everywhere around Europe. Wall Central Kitchen at the end, in many ways, in the process of, for example, in Haiti, when bakeries were being destroyed in very poor cities, yes, we were bringing food and bread, but in the process, we were able to finance the reopening in those little towns of those bakeries. So very quickly, they could go back to normal, if you understand what I mean. So World Central Kitchen always tries to be that. Yes, emergency, but also when we can start investing into the solution. So when we leave, we try to leave things at the very least in a place where people can go back to feed themselves.
1: We'll be right back after a word from these sponsors. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And we're back. Like I said at the beginning, you have this this huge commercial empire. You said you've got, in addition to that, you've got a family life and friends you want to hang out with. How do you decide when you need to be working for World Central Kitchen or going to Ukraine versus working on your commercial business? And do the two Is there any sort of positive interplay between your restaurants and your for-profit work and your non-profit work? Do they work together in any way?
0: Well, I mean, in the early days, we will finance World Central Kitchen with the money we raise through... I will close my restaurants one or two days a year. And I will do a big party celebration where thousands of people will come. And all the money we raise is how we began financing Mm -hmm. World Central Kitchen. Uh, Obviously, many people... um, there are two different entities completely. One is a for-profit, the other one is an mm-hmm. NGO. Uh, I see myself as one more volunteer. Uh, I, I've been donating my time to other organizations. What happened, is one is the one I founded and the one that got a lot of, uh, um, if you want to say, publicity and fame. But I do believe it's important just to realize that, especially in my profession, in the restaurant business, I think it's one of the most generous professions anywhere Uh Because in every city you are, every single restaurant, uh, every single coffee shop, that's a matter where you are in America. They are always doing something to help their local community. In a smaller or bigger scale, I'm very happy that the restaurant community, the food community as a whole, is super involved, especially in food issues. Even what chefs support these days is beyond food issues. I'm very happy that the restaurant industry as a whole seems is always very active in making the effort to, to have an impact beyond the restaurant.
1: I, I called you a celebrity chef at the beginning, and you kind of brushed that up, but you really were one of the first sort of well-known chefs in America, especially bringing fine dining and and Spanish food to America, sort of a new version of Spanish food. Uh, there's been an explosion of food media since you started in America, and right now there's an explosion of of sort of amateur food media, influencers on Instagram and TikTok, sometimes doing really elaborate stuff in a restaurant that they're eating at. When someone whips out an iPhone, one of your restaurants, do you go, oh, no? Or, or are you excited they're doing it? Or how do you feel when, when you've got people making content in your restaurants?
0: You know, uh, I think, uh, obviously, life, its, it's uh, any moment in life is a, a moment for content. And today, with this, <laughs> these possibilities and this power that we all have, that we can all be the next Ron Howard of the world, used by knowing how to press a button. Mm -hmm. it's it's very hard used to, you know, if if people are not bothering, it's not any different than if you used to smoke and you bother the people next to you, or if you you have a cold and you are, it's one more thing. If people use it nicely and they don't interrupt what is, I mean, going to a restaurant in a way is like going to see a film or going to see a play in a theater, right? You you cannot just tell the guys stop stop I want to take a I want to take a photo can can you you don't but, do that but, right but
1: they do but they do in the restaurants right that's I wonder
0: if that might infuriate you in the restaurants can can happen but usually people they know how to behave very well and it, they love to take a photo to take with them I think a photo even if we gave them the photos uh, like we thought about it to the people nothing has more power than the content that you create yourself even if the photo is not so good even if the video is not so good people have a lot of pride and joy that that photo was taken by them so quite frankly it's not something we i I remember in the old days we used to have conversations about that and i know even some restaurants says no photos allowed no video allowed Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you just let people be free. And if they don't bother anybody else, you just let them be who they want to be.
1: You're, you're launching multiple restaurants this year alone. Is that process, now that you are a big deal, super famous chef with a million Twitter followers, is that process easier for you now in 2022 than it was 10 years ago? Is it harder to break through because there's just so much more stuff in the
0: world to get people to pay attention to a new
1: restaurant you opened?
0: Obviously, just uh, yes, we open two hotels uh, with the restaurants inside and, and the process goes slowly, but it's a lot of things at once. Obviously, I'm only as good as the people I have around me. If something I've done all my life is building teams and making sure that the teams feel like they own, a, that they, they own <laughs> what they're doing. And on that, I'm very lucky. I am who I am thanks to all of them. So for me, obviously, it's becoming easier because... It's only been happening in the last two, three years that it uh, requires much less time of me. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, I would have to put every single hour, not running the restaurants I already had opened, but then the time to, re- to open a new one. Mm-hmm. The research. Now, because my team has been... Over the years, bigger and bigger. And we came out of the pandemic with, if anything, a bigger team. So I'm very proud of that team allows me to be creative, allows me to do the things we do. And if anything, it's yes, becoming easier. And if anything, we're doing it better every time. Why? Because the team makes things better. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm a firm believer in we the people. I know some people believe in I, the person, but I don't think that's the way for America.
1: It's a push and pull, though, right? People, Some people are showing up to your restaurant because your name is attached, and maybe they think you're making the food. Maybe they think they'll see you. If your name wasn't attached, maybe they wouldn't show up, right? So it's you and a team.
0: Yeah, but it's like uh, Hamilton and McLaren on Formula One. I mean, if you buy a McLaren, you know Hamilton didn't make the car. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's a great, damn good driver, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of his. But uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's the way it is when you have 40 restaurants. You can imagine that I'm not there cooking every meal. And maybe sometimes you don't want me to be the one, the cooking, but you know, when sometimes they tell you, and when you are not there, who, who is cooking? And the answer, it's simple. It's like the same people that when I am there. I mean, at the end, a restaurant is more than one person. Obviously my restaurants is me. It's a part of me is my spirit, but also is many other individuals that make it happen every single day.
1: In addition to everything else you're doing, you are making a podcast. It should be out when people hear this podcast. It's a conversation podcast. Instead of asking why you're making a podcast, why why make more media? Like, How do you decide this is something I want to spend time on as opposed to I've already made a TV show, let's make another TV show, or I don't need to make more TV shows, I've made a lot of TV shows. What does adding another piece of media to your empire do for you?
0: Well, I, I would not call it an empire, but sure, for me doing the podcast is more... Another way to express myself, maybe it's learning English, maybe it's having deep conversations I have with friends off air, just on air. It pushes me in a way. I mean, listen, it's it's, it's a podcast at the end of the day, is hard work. Uh, you need to dedicate the time, the effort. Keep saying that. It's good for my bosses to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's not so easy. You When you are interviewing, you have to be on that day. You, you cannot be, and you have to to be able to to work with the guests in the best way you can, my my dream at the end of this is really get experience. Uh, I'm a guy that you know I I love scuba diving. Uh, I play golf. I've been in a submarine hundreds of meters down. I I I I love to do everything I can do to to learn about things. And for me, used to go through this is use a process to keep growing, to be learning. And I'm not gonna lie to you. One of my favorite shows ever was Car Talk on. On, on NPR on Saturday mm-hmm. mornings. And I think I'm getting the experience to, you know, they are unreplaceable. They are amazing. They they did some of the best radio in the history. Uh, some radio about something like nobody knew a clue about anything, but you were listening and you had fun. And in the process, kind of you, you laugh. Yeah. You're right. I want to do one day. I want to make sure this podcast maybe ends being, this kind of a card talk experience, but precisely you talking about food and food experiences, where people use open themselves to you, they ask you questions, and you answer in the best way you can.
1: Let's let's give the podcast a formal plug. What's it called? Longer tables.
0: Longer tables. And I know you're working
1: with Substack. Do I have to be a Substack s- subscriber to get that? Or can I get it for free just through the regular uh,
0: I think uh, you're asking me questions. I am clueless, ah! But you All can right, go we'll to Jose, joseandres.com and there you'll find out exactly what's happening. But I have a feeling that now they are very loose that maybe you can access without. So just go to joseandres.com. And there will guide you to the podcast. We have
1: savvy listeners. They'll figure it out. I'm yeah. guessing, and this will be my last question for you, that a bunch of my listeners like me watched The Bear and loved it this summer. And you must get this question a lot, but I'll ask you anyway. How realistic is the, the way they portray the, the back of the restaurant and the incessant stress? Um, is that real? What, what part of that is fake? What part of that is, is the real deal?
0: I didn't watch it yet. What? And I, didn't, I didn't watch it yet. Is that so you can't answer this question? No, I didn't watch it because I'm very methodical in the way I watch my series. And I have to finish Vikings mm-hmm. Still, I didn't finish. And I need to finish uh, Handmade Tales and others. So I'm very methodical in the way I do them. But obviously, for what i seen and read, my daughter used text me last night. Uh, daddy, 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 we need to watch it. We need to watch it. I'm like, okay, my daughter is caught. And she seems she like it. And when my daughter likes something very much, I will tell you, realistic or not, we need to understand is TV. And realistic or not, you need to try to get the attention and for every episode. So I'm guessing that sometimes certain things are going to be on the edge of what really happens in the kitchens of America.
1: There's a scene where they, they give a bunch of kids in a suburban birthday party uh, Xanax and they all pass out. I don't think that's realistic.
0: I can tell you one thing. I did. I, I remember I was a producer of Hannibal. Which I was going to ask about that, yeah. Uh, I, and there uh, I, I was helping the script writers and the director and everybody, Brian Fuller and everybody, how to write smart scripts, uh, what menus to do, working, working with amazing people on set that they were doing all the amazing food. Uh, and for me, it was very special one episode that I was able to put an Iberico ham, the most expensive ham in the history of mankind, that this for me, in a way, was like a commercial because I love ham. Uh, nobody knows it. It's not like we have marketing money from Spain to promote a very expensive product that is not much of it, but to me to see it during two minutes. Hannibal Lecter himself, in his young age, describing that that ham came from Spain and ate acorns, is maybe one of the highlights of my life because I was able to make that happen. Not every idea I gave to the scriptwriters made it into the show, but when certain ideas made it big, I was so proud of myself. My God, I was able to put on American television Hannibal talking about Iberico ham. This is something made me very happy.
1: Is there something that TV and movies gets wrong a lot about about cooking, that you see and you're like? Oh, I did this again. This isn't
0: right. Uh, I I I think I think the best years of of uh, TV uh, food and TV are coming. I think it's been good moments. Uh, certain movies like Babette's Feast, right? If you are uh, a really a person that loves food and and, and, and movies, you, you you watch Babette's Feast. It's believable that that woman in the middle of nowhere, Denmark, was able to do such a meal. You know, it's on the edge of the possible because there mm-hmm. are very talented people that can make a meal like the way she cooked it and the wine she got. Uh, this is kind of the stream of what's r- real. Uh, but I do believe the best food TV, be, every day is more and more, but the best food TV is some very good one in manga some very good in comics. Uh, but we're going to see more series with food, like the one you're mentioning. We're going to see more movies with food that every day will be more and more believable and will will bring all us closer through these longer tables we're talking about.
1: You can find Jose Andres on Twitter. You can find his restaurants all over the world. I like Chino Poblano at the Cosmopolitan. That's a big favorite of mine. Um, and you can find him in World Central Kitchen. Thank you for
0: joining us.